Hey folks, welcome to the show, Greg here. Just before we get started, I kind of want to lay out what's going on in this episode. We have two different guests. The first one is Sean Slavin, 2QBs.com, talking about his Tanya series there. That's a quarterback efficiency metric. He'll be up front. And later on, we'll have Ray Austin of the Fan Controlled Football League. He's going to talk about the FCFL, this show's sponsor. And so I'm looking forward to that. He did play in the NFL, the XFL, college. He's been around the world and back. So uh, had some good stories. I think you're going to enjoy that. Let's get to the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 71 of the 2QB Experience. I'm your host. My name is Greg Smith. You can find me on Twitter at GregSauce. You can find pretty much all my work over at 2QBs.com. Joining me this episode is another contributor to 2QBs and also a consultant with Draft Day Consultants. It's Sean Slavin at Slavin22 on Twitter. Sean, welcome back, man. It's great to have you on again. <laughs> it's great to be invited back. <laughs> Well, of course, man. It's great to have you back on. You've done a bunch of awesome work for the site, uh, and least of all, or not least of all, not least of all, that's how that works, uh, your recent articles on Tanya, and this is a quarterback efficiency metric that you came up with, and you have three articles up at 2QBs.com about this. The first is kind of an introduction to how you got started on the idea of this and what stats came before, what stats you used, or and what ones you were comparing to. The second is kind of looking at quarterback prospects in a more general way, not looking at specific players necessarily, but looking at what Tanya tells us about prospects coming out of college. And then the one that just dropped today, it's, it's Wednesday as we're recording this, is one that kind of puts the 2018 rookie quarterback class into context against you know, the past however many years, 15 years of QBs, and it's awesome, man. It's really crazy to see how this year's crop stacks up against the players that we see on these other teams, and we're going to get into it. But before we do, I want to start off with a, a note that we just missed on last week's episode with Anthony Amico, and that was Chad Henney signing uh, behind Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. And Sal gives me crap for like certain players every once in a while, and Chad Henney is one of those guys, so I'd be remiss if I didn't, you know, talk about him in this extent. It's like whenever I have like one take about a guy or I get slightly excited about a guy and I tell Sal about it, he'll never let me forget about it. And Henney is just one of those guys. Anyway, I've been rambling for too long. I want to ask you what you think about this signing. Patrick Mahomes is still a second year player. We've only seen him play in one NFL game or start one NFL game, I should say. There is a lot of unknown. We we don't necessarily know. We expect him to be good, but we don't know for sure that he's going to be. Is there a chance that Chad Henney gets in there? Maybe. I kind of want to look at this through your lens of Tanya. How do these guys stack up against each other? What kind of prospect was Henney? What type of prospect was Mahomes? And are they maybe closer than we expect? Uh, what do you think about these two guys, Sean? So I'm looking at uh, Chad Henney's NFL numbers right now, and he's had four seasons where he had at least 300 total attempts passing and rushing and he was below average in all of them an average number for an nfl quarterback is about 5.2 and his highest tanya mark 
after adjusting for schedule and everything is 4.75. So he's been significantly below average in efficiency every time he's gotten enough volume for it to matter. In uh, 2011, he had a strong Tanya in a small sample. Besides that, we know who Chad Henney is. He's a career backup for a reason. I mean that both as a positive and a negative. You know he's not going to step on the field and raise the play of your team, but I think he's great to have behind a young quarterback. Um, sure, he can teach him a lot, and if you do need to throw him in there, you at least know he's not going to be awful. You probably want to limit his usage Okay, so how about Patrick Mahomes? What kind of Tanya prospect was he coming out of college? Because we don't have NFL numbers on him yet. Patrick Mahomes was a great prospect coming out of college. Um, he, By my model, which incorporates Tanya, age, uh, percentage of college production coming from rushing, and takes into account draft ca- capital just to kind of level off, make sure I'm not too crazy it kind of adds a film element while draft capital takes into account everything since i'm looking at the objective measures it kind of lets anyone who excels in film and has a higher draft position than the objective measures would take and it accounts for that so by that model i he's 86 percentile among all drafted quarterbacks since 2004 and um, that translates to being worth the eighth pick in the draft. He went at pick 10, so it was right in that range. So I, I think that's a good baseline. He's a he's a top 10 pick, by no means um, an automatic hit, but he was a great prospect. He had uh, good Tanya. He was he was young. He was a, a little bit on the shorter side, but. Um, not quite short, but average, right in that average range of height, but not where the typical top 10 quarterbacks are a bit taller. Okay, so, I mean, we're not really breaking any news here. Patrick Mahomes is a lot better than Chad Henney, right? Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll just go through what, uh, what Chad Henney was as a prospect. He was not great uh, efficiency-wise in college. He was about a year older than Chad Henney was, um, a little over 23 at the start of his rookie season. He was picked in the third round. Um, Sorry, he was a late second-round pick. I have him as a late third-round value. So he was drafted a little bit ahead, but in that day-two range where it really um, is fluid. Okay, fair enough. So... We've talked a lot about Tanya so far, but we haven't really dove into what it's about. Now, I definitely urge everyone listening to this to go check out the articles and, and read them in order because, Sean, you do a great job of kind of building up this world of, of, of the model that you've constructed. And I kind of want to take a step back here and, and talk more about it in general. Like, can you quickly explain, give us the Cliff Notes version of what, you know, the metric Tanya stands for, why it's useful you know, we don't we don't need to get into the history of how you got there. Folks can read the article if they want that. Okay, so Tanya is a quarterback efficiency metric that 
is all-encompassing in my eyes, meaning besides just the passing numbers, it takes into account rushing and sacks, which are very important too. So on its face, because it takes into account sacks especially, it's not directly applicable to fantasy, but I it it's become my favorite way to evaluate real-life performance. Um, it stands for total adjusted net yards per attempt. Um, just piggybacking off of some of the quarterback efficiency metrics you've seen, AYA takes yards per attempt and adjusts it for touchdowns and interceptions, then this includes sacks and rushing as well. Um, so that's where the T, the total, comes from, because you're not just looking at passing, correct? Yeah, because the end, the net, comes from adding sacks. So I just added rushing into that. And just uh, the reason I slapped on the T there for total, it, when you say the whole thing out, total adjusted net yards per attempt, it's wordy, but every single letter add something and you can take away one you could take away the net and just look at passing and rushing numbers so i i like being able to do that <laughs> have, have you done any of that where you strip out the sacks i mean you can't do that with the college numbers can you no and if you read my article <laughs> that's pretty much the basis of where this came from but for the nfl i i plan on really looking at all those different combinations, taking out sacks, adding that in, taking out rushing, but it really allows for you to answer different questions. If you define a passer in terms of just throwing, you have AYA. If you count sacks as part of that passing games, any A or I haven't said that out loud, A-N-Y-A. You call it Anya, um, maybe? Anya? <laughs> yeah, Anya. <laughs> so you can do that, but if, you, if you're looking at who is the best quarterback and you think rushing is important like I do, then um, Tanya is where to look. And I value mobile quarterbacks a lot. I think it's a big undervalued part of the game, and... Uh, there's pros and cons to it. I know a lot of people have done some research and there's conflicting results about whether QB, how much QB rushing leads to injuries. But um, I, I think if, if a quarterback can rush and especially at avoid sacks, if they can do both of those things well, it just really elevates the offense. So you just talked about some potential criticism when you add in the rushing aspect of quarterback performance. Would you say that that's Tanya's biggest weakness? Do you think there's something else that's that's a bigger weakness? And how would you plan to improve or otherwise you know, address those flaws that, that you find or that you can imagine in your own metric? Um, th that's a good point. I mean, I think the fact that it takes into account designed rushes might be the biggest flaw especially transitioning from college to the NFL quarterbacks who run design plays a lot in college uh, they end up not doing that much at the NFL Cam Newton's the exception because he is the size of a linebacker with the speed of a running back so <laughs> but, but besides that and even his 
rush attempts drastically declined from college to the NFL. So it definitely is a weakness, but despite that, adding in those rushing numbers, sacks, QB scrambles, and design runs for college quarterbacks enables Tanya to be more predictive than the other efficiency metrics. Maybe if <laughs> I can get some play-by-play data, and I, it's scarce out there for college, but being able to strip away especially designed runs, maybe it'd be even more predictive. Yeah, that was kind of where my head went when I started thinking deeper about this, was trying to figure out how coaching schemes influence the metric. If you could somehow, yeah, cross-reference your data either against yeah play-calling tendencies or actual play-calls, I think that'd be really interesting. So I hope you find that sort of data someday and are able to kind of try to filter through it and see what you get. I want to also talk to you about something else that I think makes this a little tricky, and that's adjusting for error. Now, I I think in one of your articles you talked about doing this, um, but can you explain that process and explain what an error constitutes, right? Like you can do it season by season, but do you see any larger trends over time uh, when you look at these numbers? Yeah, so I adjust by era more naturally than you would think it's looking at say if we were looking at sam bradford who played in college from 2007 to 2009 for each game he's played i'm looking if he plays texas tech in 2008 i'm looking at their tanya against for that whole year which is basically just their yards per play against adjusted for touchdowns and interceptions, but it that accounts passing and rushing everything. So it's more of a measure of the overall defense. So for each game he played in his career, I would take the average Tanya against for all those defenses and then Averaging that gives me basically his strength of schedule and dividing by that and multiplying by the average in the time frame I've been looking at since 2000 puts everyone on the same playing field accounting for schedule. But the way I do it, it adjusts for era by itself. I didn't need to add in a second process for that. And the reason that is, is because in 2000, uh, college offenses were a lot less efficient, so the average Tanya was closer to maybe 5.8 or 5.9. I don't have them on me, those numbers on me right now, but it's in 2017, it's up to 6.2. So over the course of the, that period, the average is about 6 for college offenses, as far as yards per play, adjusting for touchdowns and interceptions, but okay. I mean, now that we've seen kind of how the the soup is made, let's talk about specific quarterbacks and what you found in your analysis of this as you apply it to to players. Who was the most surprising historical standout in Tanya when you were diving into this research? A few stick out to me. Ken Dorsey is near the top. Uh, I think for quarterbacks with 250 
or more passing attempts since 2000. He's third behind Sam Bradford and Marcus Mariota and right above Cam Newton. So he's right there within three highly drafted quarterbacks. And the NFL sniffed him out. I believe he was drafted in the seventh round. And that's one thing that even though Tanya can be really predictive when NFL teams decide that they are not worthy of a high, high draft pick to the extent of going in the seventh round or undrafted, as teams are usually correct. There, there's a few. Case Keenum is the big, biggest exception to that. He was great in college, went undrafted, but then again, we still want to maybe wait to see if he has more than one great season in him. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Another guy that stood out to me was Kellen Moore. He He's up there on the list. He never, I don't even know if he got a snap in the NFL, even though he had decently long career with the Cowboys. I know he's really valued by them, even as just a clip pull clipboard holder when he was there everyone says he's going to be a future coach but it was really interesting to see his name and then the third one i'd say is someone who returned to college uh trace mcsorley from penn state he was second behind baker mayfield in tanya for quarterbacks that might have come out to the draft this year but the film guys are very low on him he's small in stature which makes sense um those are the type of quarterbacks that even if they have great efficiency in college get uh overlooked whether that's warranted or not so he's someone i'm interested to see if he does even better at his senior year at penn state because even though the film guys aren't high on him if he if he has a lights-out year and improves his Tanya, he'll probably be my favorite undervalued quarterback of the 2019 draft. Nice. Yeah, that's a name I haven't even really thought of because he didn't come out. I, I looked up Kellen Moore uh, while you were talking, and he did play three games for the Cowboys in 2015. He started two, and that's it, man. That's, that's all he's ever done uh, at the pro level. Now, what was the most surprising angle you found based on – the 2018 rookie class like what are you seeing in this class that jumps out to you is something maybe you didn't expect just following uh the quarterback rankings before i started diving into this getting the sense of how high scouts are on rosen and allen but how inefficient they were compared to the other top quarterbacks in this draft now Josh Allen and uh, Josh Rosen weren't inefficient compared to the average college quarterback, but compared to first-round prospects, they really lagged there. And I was most surprised by the gap between Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen. It's basically a full yard, which is a significant difference. And Darnold still might... Is, uh, looks like the guy that's going number one in the draft. So even though Josh Rosen has been praised for his mechanics more than any other quarterback, it, it looks like 
maybe teams are valuing that efficiency that Darnold had. Well, I think on top of that, you can look at who's picking number one, right? You can look at the fact that it's Cleveland and that they just signed Tyrod Taylor, and Hugh Jackson is saying Tyrod Taylor's our starter for 2018. So they don't necessarily need to go get the guy who's going to be the most polished, and and that's probably Rosen, right? Um, They don't have to take him number one, and so they can afford to chase that efficiency that Darnold had. Uh, But, you know, I I can put on my tinfoil hat right now, too, and say, you know, Cleveland has been known to do some trading back. Now, if you are trying, if you don't care who you get or if you don't want Darnold, or if you think Darnold's the most highly valued guy, but he's not the one you want, wouldn't you say, oh, yeah, we're, we're definitely planning on taking Darnold number one? I mean, this is definitely conspiracy theory shit. We don't have to <laughs> dive too much deeper into it. But, I mean, I think there's – we also have to make that argument, right? It's like just because everybody's saying that Darnold is going to go number one doesn't mean it's going to happen. Now, once – if we hear that, you know, he's signed a contract with the Browns or signed an agreement, that's a different story. And that, that does happen sometimes with these number one overall picks. Um I want to get more into some of the details from your articles. And one of the really cool things you did in today's piece was kind of historically since 2004 picked out the best overall classes and the worst overall classes. And I got to take issue with, with your choice for the best class. You you picked 2011, right? Cam Newton, uh, then Jake Locker, Blaine Gabbert, Colin Kaepernick, Christian Ponder, Andy Dalton, Ryan Mallett, Tyrod Taylor. I, I see it. Like, that's a deep class, but give me 2012, man. Andrew Luck, Robert Griffin III, Ryan Tannehill, Russell Wilson. I, I think because of what happened to Robert Griffin III, people forget how good he was. You know, rest in peace and apologies for opening up Josh Lake's old wounds right now. But Robert Griffin was awesome when he came out. And I, I think that, you know, injuries kind of derailed his whole career. I don't think we should, you know, penalize him in hindsight, like the type of prospect he was, like, based upon that. But... The other thing that kind of bugged me is you had this justification that you like rushing QBs, and that's part of why you went with the the Newton, Kaepernick, Tyrod class. But come on, man. Robert Griffin and Russell (laughs) Russell Wilson, those guys are elite rushers. Luck and Tannehill are sneaky good rushers. Like, those guys had more athleticism than maybe people realized. I I don't know, man. You can defend yourself, and and I definitely accept your argument as valid, if only to kind of praise Colin Kaepernick and – maybe reiterate for the millionth time just how crazy it is that he's out of the NFL now, just out of nowhere, and that no one kind of cares. But I don't know, man. Make your case. Why why, why do you think that that 2011 class was better? It's purely about the depth of it. 2012, the top three quarterbacks, um, as far as prospect-wise of Luck, RG3, and Tannehill, are the best top three of any class that I looked at and I think even when you add in Russell Wilson they're the only class that beats them out as far as top four is 2018 but 2011 once you get past there having Tyrod Taylor as the eighth best prospect in the class um it it just viewing depth as important, that's what really put 2011 over the top for me. So how do you I, – I, I want to know how you reconcile the misses here because a lot of the names on that list – like, yes, Tyrod Taylor was a great late-round prospect, and he, and he had a lot of value for where he was ultimately taken. But you look at Jake Locker, Blaine Gabbert, Christian Ponder, Ryan Mallett on this list, and 
what were those just mistakes? Like we have to think that they were right. And and if in that case, doesn't that make Tyrod the fourth or fifth best prospect there instead of the eighth best prospect? Like how do you resolve that? Um, I I think the reason why Tyrod is only the eighth best prospect in my eyes is how late he went in the draft. He was a sixth round pick, and you know. Jake Locker and Gabbert both went in the first round, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Pa- Ponder in the second before Kaepernick. Um, Ryan Mallett went pretty early, too. And just like 2018, how NFL teams view this quarterback class on a whole was really what dragged up, since I'm using draft capital as my kind of film component. And yeah, they they might have been misses, but uh, I, I was really trying to look at it from a, at the time of the draft, how good were these prospects. And Tyrod was a much better prospect than some of those guys um, as far as the objective measures that I look for. But falling to the sixth round is not a good look for a quarterback prospect but he was good enough to overcome that so is have you done any kind of deeper research into how to predict those misses like how to figure out when despite a good tanya a guy is is not going to succeed at the nfl level like you talked about draft capital being a big part of that but is there anything else that you've identified that could kind of clue us in to maybe a guy being maybe not a, a complete bust waiting to happen but just maybe just overrated um I would view it. It's a really complicated question, and I, I definitely I need ones, to look man. more I'm sorry, into I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> but at, at the time, how I view it, if a team drafts a quarterback very, very highly, if they have a really low efficiency, like Josh Allen or even Josh Rosen, like it's gonna make me a little skeptical. But I'm gonna trust that teams who if they take them in the top five that there's something to it yeah maybe they're not worth a top five pick but they're not a fourth round prospect just in looking at the historical prospects there's teams rarely reach that much and i'll say a certain recent jets pick may be the lone (laughs) exception but uh and then on the opposite end if a quarterback is not drafted at all or if there it's just a flyer in the seventh round for the most part are going to trust that if i just relied on college efficiency back in the day i would have taken ken dorsey in my 2qb dynasty draft in my rookie draft and i would have been ignoring the fact that 32 teams passed over him six times okay yeah i mean that makes a lot of sense so let's Let's dive in a little bit deeper to these rookies, and there's kind of a clear top six. How do they rank in Tanya, and then how do they rank for you? Like, what's different between what your model spits out and what you actually believe in terms of these quarterbacks' fantasy value? Okay, so the most efficient quarterback in the class is Baker Mayfield. No matter what stats you've seen, he's probably number one in the class in it, or... Maybe if it's some of the more peripheral stats, maybe he's a little bit behind. But as far as all-encompassing efficiency metric, no matter how you look at it, he's tops in this class, and he's one of the most efficient 
quarterbacks in college history. His last two seasons were incredible. There's a tear break right after him, just looking at Tanya, and then Lamar Jackson and Mason Rudolph are still great. Sam Darnold a little bit behind that, and then there's a huge drop-off to Josh Rosen and Josh Allen. But those are the the scouts' dreams. The, the toolsy guys. Big yeah. bodies. <laughs> yeah, the toolsy guys. Big body, big arm. Rosen has the mechanics while Allen right. just has the big arm. But what it, what I like about Josh Allen, even though his, his overall efficiency numbers don't show it, he was a good rusher in college. Um, a lot of that was scrambling. And you look at him and you might not see it, but just because of how big he is, he's kind of like a young Big Ben that when he wants to, he's going to escape the pocket and he's going to, he might run over a cornerback or at least just pick up a first down. Did you toy at all with trying to wait rushing versus passing in your model or in Tanya? That's something that I haven't done. Um, <laughs> I'll definitely look into that because I'm just uh, curious. I'm just curious because of, of the guys you listed and kind of the tier breaks that you gave, it did definitely seems like what your numbers are telling you seems to give a little bit more value to those rushers. And you say that that's, that lines up with your kind of ethos when it comes to evaluating these guys. But I'm wondering like, is there possibly a more objective way to translate, you know, college rushing and sack yardage to pro production, if that makes sense? Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it does make sense. And I, I definitely want to look into it and see if there's a more optimal weighting system. But my take on it is that for guys like Lamar Jackson, who over a third of his rushing product or his college production came from rushing maybe at that point i want to put a cap on how much his um, rushing numbers are going to affect it because when he gets to the nfl even if he rushes as much as cam newton does it's going to be a lot less than he did in college i mean jackson had more rushing yards and rushing touchdowns in his college career than saquon barkley did um he there's just no way he's going to run that much but Besides those guys who run like crazy, how I like to view the rushing production, since it's including sacks at the college level, it's not just how well do they run the ball. It's how it's 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 a uh, holistic look at everything they do, right? It's it sacks, is. it's running, it's passing, it's it's the whole game, and it's all. I guess that's my question: is like how is it fair to weight that stuff equally and is it even weighted equally in, in Tanya? I don't, I mean, maybe it's not just because of the, the pure like sample size of each aspect of, of the game, but yeah, I don't know. It's just, I, you got my gears turning, man. I'm thinking about this stuff and that's why I'm asking the questions, but uh, let, let's get back to the, the rookie class here. And who do you think is actually the best bet for long-term success? Do you think it's uh, Baker Mayfield? My gut still wants to say Baker Mayfield, but Sam Darnold is coming out in front in my model um he's the youngest quarterback prospect in a long time uh i think the second youngest since 2000 and age isn't a huge part of it but when you're that young there's a signal that 
especially since Darnold was one of the quarterbacks who, even though he didn't have the efficiency of Baker Mayfield, it was still well above average. To be able to do that at a young age is very important. Um, most of the articles you'll see about breakout age or something like that have have to do with running backs and wide receivers, but I'm pretty sure there's also some work on that with quarterbacks and um it's it's shown up in my model that yes we want an efficient quarterback who is drafted highly but we also if they're younger that's better and that's where darnold he's two full years younger than mayfield okay and so i I think i stepped on part of the question i asked earlier which you ran through how Tanya views these different QBs, but how do you rank them? It sounds like you've got Darnold one. Where does it go from there? Darnold, uh, then Baker Mayfield are my top tier, and then Lamar Jackson and Josh Rosen are really the next tier for me, and it depends on the day you're asking me. Uh, I'd rather go with Lamar Jackson, but I definitely see the um argument for rosen and then josh allen is a bit behind that and mason rudolph is rounding out at the sixth for me and but what's interesting is at at different times i've uh been tweaking my model and before i incorporated draft capital mason rudolph was actually number one and <laughs> because he has a great com- combination of efficiency, um, height, and he, he's not super young, but he just as the only guy in the class that has the size and the efficiency. Darnold does uh, comparably, but just he's a little bit shorter and a, it was a little bit less efficient in college. But the fact that no teams are really considering Rudolph where they're considering these other five quarterbacks matters. So um, while Rudolph stands out in some of the objective measures, um, I mean, I'm going to trust those NFL teams and some of, and especially some of the guys I've interact with on Twitter. Elliot Chris believes a lot of Rudolph's production came via his scheme, um, which I don't know how much that can really affect. I think when you look at a volume perspective, that is definitely um, <laughs> if if no one adjusted for volume and just looked at uh, most production in college, we'd be drafting Texas Tech and Hawaii <laughs> quarterbacks number one, no matter what. Sure. Um, but I think because I'm looking at efficiency, I don't know how much that comes into play. I think if you can scheme for <laughs> a high yards per attempt, why wouldn't every coach be doing that? No, absolutely. And, I mean, you think about it, it's not like there aren't going to be schemes to take advantage of players' strengths in the NFL either. Like, that's the whole name of the game is you're amplifying the strengths of your players and you're trying to mitigate their weaknesses with your scheme, with the surrounding personnel. And you can't, like, I don't think you can use that as a reason to, to nitpick these guys too much. Now, to some extent, yeah, you have to factor that in. Like, how is this guy scoring? How How is he, you know, uh, you know, getting his yards and whatnot? But it's, it's not something that, I think that stuff gets overblown a little bit. Now, you were talking about Mason Rudolph, and 
he's only your sixth bet sixth best prospect in this class but according to your article he's the second best qb6 prospect since 2004 and i'm just i'm curious who was the best who was better than mason rudolph as you know the sixth guy being drafted or the sixth guy being valued at least um it was andy dalton in that 2011 class that (laughs) i like over your 2012 class i just went top heavy man i'm just i'm a stars and scrubs drafter that's why i had to take the the elite talent at the top of that one russell wilson andrew luck robert griffin the third please that's enough for me i don't need all that depth Uh, (laughs) um so do you think those guys are comparable rudolph and dalton uh yeah um i'd have to look at dalton's college numbers but the one difference i i think is the mobility you know dalton we haven't seen it in the last year or so but especially early in his career he wasn't taking off all the time but he was using that mobility to avoid sacks and um and he had decent rushing numbers in his early career and that's something mason rudolph he did not rush much at all um all of almost all of his rushing production was negated by the sacks he took so besides that i mean rudolph was a better passer in college but they still came out similar overall um as far as showing up in my model okay i mean so let's dig in a little bit deeper on that mason rudolph angle then because if he wasn't rushing at all or or not rushing to any success in college but he still profiles as as, profiled as hyper efficient according to some of these metrics you're looking at is that is that necessarily i mean that almost seems like a good thing to me in the sense that in the nfl he's more likely going to be passing like they won't necessarily need him to run as much and if you put him behind a good offensive line, maybe he could be a Kirk Cousins type or something like that, where if you can protect him, he's going to be fine. Like, do you think that there's maybe some merit to the fact that he was able to kind of score so well, according to these metrics, despite the fact that he wasn't a good rusher? Yeah, so Mason Rudolph, despite the lack of rushing production, he still shows up high in my Tanya metric especially, but as an overall prospect because of what he did with his arm at Oklahoma state since 2000 out of 243 quarterbacks in the FBS to have at least a thousand, uh, pass attempts. Rudolph has the third highest AYA. So just looking at his throwing, uh, when you adjust that for schedule, it's a little bit and era, it's a little bit down at 14th but that is still about 95th percentile he's one of the most efficient quarterbacks um with his arm he doesn't stand out in those numbers as much as you'd think or as if you just in the media because he has baker mayfield in front of him the mm-hmm. guy with the highest aya in since 2000 for fbs quarterbacks even if you adjust for era. Okay. I got one more kind of weird thought exercise here before we wind things down. And let, let's just assume that all six of these top rookies coming in end up with the starting gig in week one, and, and, and we can expect them to hold it for most of the season. It's unlikely that that'll actually happen. Like we know that Cleveland doesn't want to start the QB they draft, but let's say in, in some weird dream world that they do, which one of these guys is the best bet 
in your mind for 2018 success, you know, assuming that they're the starter? Lamar Jackson is who I'd say is most prepared for um, success in his rookie year. I highlighted a lot of the research put into this in uh, my second Tanya article, but college efficiency is a lot more important for rookie year success than it is for long-term success. So um, we'd look more, you still need to be a first round quarterback to get the opportunity as a rookie. But out of those guys, the ones who excel are ones who are really efficient in college and especially ones who use their legs a lot. makes sense when you jump to the NFL level, there's going to be a huge learning curve as far as, reading defenses um, and making the throws into tighter windows than you had to at the previous level. But the guys that can escape pressure either just to avoid sacks, but also to get out and run, they're going to be more ready, especially if they can throw a a decent amount. And that's the biggest question mark with Lamar Jackson, but He's he still had strong numbers with his arm, so I th- I think he's he's ready to start right away. And even though I'm not the highest on him long term, that's who I'd be taking in redraft leagues out of these quarterbacks, assuming they have the same opportunity. Yeah, and I don't necessarily want to comp him to these guys, but this brings us back to that 2012 class, right, with RG3 and Russell Wilson kind of coming out of nowhere, and because of that production they put up on the ground, like. It really helped buoy them to, to be fantasy startable as rookies. And a lot of the times, like we saw with Jared Goff, that wasn't the case, and he's never been much of a rusher. Uh, even Carson Wentz, who is a little bit more mobile, like definitely struggled through a lot of his rookie season. But when these guys have that speed that translates to the NFL level, it makes sense that they're going to be a little bit more, uh, at least apt to produce for fantasy. Maybe not necessarily in the NFL sense, but... Um, all right. Uh, do you have any preferred landing spots for any of these specific guys, like teams that you're hoping end up with certain QBs? Yeah, so any of the guys that I think are ready to start right now, um, Lamar Jackson and Baker Mayfield are the two that stand out. Um, the Broncos make a lot of sense. Um, they've really sh- struggled since their Super Bowl runs, and that's mostly because of the play at quarterback. Um, and I just think if you slot in a rookie quarterback who's ready to play or Case Keenum, whoever, whoever wins, whoever wins. <laughs> whoever wins that job, um, I, I think there's a chance that the Broncos can at least bounce back to relevance. Another team that might not be as popular is the Dolphins. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't pick them to go to the playoffs, but just if you're worried about Tannehill coming back and you want to take a guy that maybe can displace him in the future, but if he's if if his health is any bit of a concern, you can also slot that quarterback in now. Uh, I think that might make sense for Lamar Jackson. Um, Baker Mayfield, besides the Broncos, I would love to see him on the Giants just because he's the my QB2 as far as long-term rankings and rookie year rankings. So um, as a Giants fan, I really want our quarterback of the future. But if Eli is done, you can slot in Mayfield, whether it's 
maybe halfway through the season. And if we have any shot at whether we have a shot at the postseason, I think I'd want the option to put Baker Mayfield in over Eli. Uh, I doubt that's going to happen. Uh, I see them going for Rosen if they take a quarterback at all. Besides those guys, touching back on like my rookie readiness model, despite uh, – th- this may seem controversial given the glowing reports on his mechanics, but – Josh Rosen, uh, according to my model, would be the least rookie ready of any first round pick in the last 15 years. And because the things that correlate well with rookie success are college efficiency, rushing production, and um, being older, despite being younger is better for long term rankings, being older actually helps. Um, in rookie year success. Um, and I'm not super confident given, like you said, he, he's the most polished as far as pure mechanics, but they, Jared Goff, I think is a really good cop. He, I believe he's second to, um, last as far as rookie readiness in that sample. And just like Josh Rosen, he didn't have the efficiency, um, he was a younger prospect, and he was third percentile in my rookie readiness, despite being 91st percentile in my long-term rankings. And it, it's a it's a sample size of one, but <laughs> it looks pretty spot on right now and throughout two years in his career. So g- given that, I would actually like to see Rosen go to someone like the Redskins. Because they might be in full rebuilding mode, take a guy who looks really good in the long-term rankings but may not be good for you this year. Um, maybe the, the Cardinals could make sense in that respect, or the Bengals. Um, another guy, my uh, <laughs> Mason Rudolph, who I would say is my guy just because um, you rarely see him talked about in the top six. You you see this class talked about as a top five, but even though I have him as a sixth quarterback overall, I think he, he belongs in the discussion. But some of the teams in the um, later part of the first round, like the Jaguars, Steelers, or Saints, really make sense to me, um, given that they have long-term quarterback questions jaguars while they signed bortles to an extension i don't think anyone sold on him long term and then the steelers saints and even the patriots even though they have franchise guys they're they're all approaching their 40s and tom brady is already there yeah that makes a lot of sense i mean it's always interesting to see which of these quarterbacks drops into that end of the first round i mean we saw that happen with aaron Rodgers back in the day that was wild when it happened and, I mean, look where he is at now. I mean, maybe we could see something similar happen to Mason Rudolph or somebody else if they if they slide too far for whatever reason. But, yeah, man, it's fascinating stuff. I'm, I'm really excited you got this stuff going up at two QBs. And um, I, I encourage all the, the listeners to go check out those articles uh, one more time just because there's just a, a ton of great data and, and really good analysis there by you, Sean. Is there, is there anything else you want to touch on here about Tanya, about your research, before we wrap things up? The only thing is, while I believe I've made some strides and 
at least my um, ability to evaluate rookie quarterbacks. I'm a lot more confident in it. Thanks to some of our research. Um, I hope other people can get something out of it as well, but I'm, I'm still maybe not in the infant stages of it. I, I, but I still have a lot of ways to go on how to apply this, how to best combine certain aspects of evaluation. Um, and so if anyone has questions or criticisms, I am completely open to that. Um, because I, I want to do more research. It's it's fun and it's enlightening, and um, I think I can improve it a lot. Yeah, man, I can't wait to see what you come up with. It, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming on. Um, listeners, you can find Sean on Twitter at Slavin22. That's S-L-A-V-I-N 22. And uh, make sure to give him a follow. Check out what he's working on. I'm sure you got a bunch of other great stuff coming down the pipe. Um, we're going to get to my interview with Ray Austin next, uh, but before we do, we have a word from our sponsor, Ray Austin's very own, the Fan Control Football League. If you love drafting your fantasy team, imagine drafting a real professional team. The Fan Controlled Football League is bringing fantasy sports and Madden franchise mode to a real football field. Fans will scout players, draft rosters, hire coaches, call plays, and more. The FCFL will feature eight professional teams playing seven-on-seven, fast-paced, indoor football in a high-tech production studio built for a digital audience. This is the next generation of fantasy football, where fans get rewarded for dominating through the league's proprietary fan token. To learn more about fan tokens and the FCFL, visit fcfl.io. All right, now I'd like to welcome in Ray Austin of the Fan Controlled Football League. Ray, thanks for coming on the podcast. Good to have you on. Man, Greg, thanks for having me, buddy. Hey, um, so... The FCFL has been sponsoring the show for a little bit, but I wanted to check in and kind of, I wanted to hear how it got started. I mean, you're one of the founders of this league and tell me a little bit about it. Tell me what uh, fans can expect and, and what they can look forward to. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, let's go back a little bit. Uh, Brent Cohen, he came up with an idea of having a, a minor league fan controlled uh, baseball team and he built up the website. It kind of went, you know, didn't really go anywhere, uh, but he kind of held on to the idea. So Rob Faruti, our CEO, was actually in Vegas, and he owned the arena team there uh, with Patrick Dees, our other co-founder. And they wanted to turn that team into a fan control team, but uh, the, their, their partners at the time didn't want to do it. I was actually in Chicago working on a beta test app that allowed people to call plays with their phone. So long story short, former Chicago Bear Tony Parrish, a good friend of mine, uh, introduced me to Sorob, and we all flew up and met for the first time, got together, and we are now in a, in a place of rethinking football for the digital audience uh, using blockchain technology. So coming 2016, we bought an indoor football team uh, in the indoor football league. We allowed the fans to run it. We allowed our fans to pick our location. They picked Salt Lake City. We allowed our fans to pick our name. They picked the Screaming Eagles. We allowed them to pick our logo, our colors. We even had live interviews with uh, a handful of coaches, and we archived the interviews and allowed the fans to vote on the coach they wanted uh, to coach the team. We then allowed uh, the fans to use uh, streaming uh, platforms like YouTube and Huddle to scout players for us. I actually went around the country and did uh, uh, combines. We recorded all the footage. And we allowed our fans to pick from uh, the Combine as well as YouTube and Huddle to really build our roster. And at, and at, at, at the peak of everything, we also built 
a mobile app that allows fans to call plays in real time, whether they're in the uh, stadium or at uh, or, or at home. And so, with the six and eleven uh, team did really well. It's pretty, you know new franchise, but it was six and eleven. And uh, our quarterback that the fans uh, found on the internet uh, was the rookie of the year, and our fans were the, the third uh, top offense in the IFL. So we proved out that fans could run a, run a team. So. Now we're taking an entire league to Vegas. We're going to allow the fans to develop seven more teams for us. We're going to have an 18-team 18, 18 league in Vegas built on the blockchain. That's amazing, man. It's cool that that quarterback you guys found ended up being Rookie of the Year. I mean, that's the power of crowdsourcing, right? Yeah. I mean, just imagine. These, a lot of the players that played on our team, you know, I had never heard of. And and if you think about it, uh, I was telling somebody this the other day, you know, Back in the day when, 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 when college coaches had to, you know, look for players, they had to jump in a car, drive miles and miles all over the place, uh, fly all over the place to find players. Now in this generation, you're, you're allowed to uh, get all, all, all these guys' highlights and, 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 and videos. They can put them on the Internet so they can get some type of exposure. So we can use that and allow the community more eyes on players to put in our league. So it's, it's awesome. It's an awesome experience. I, I, I literally would have weekly calls with scouts, and we would talk, uh, you know, about football, about this player. Yo, okay, he's not six foot. He's five nine wide receiver. He doesn't run a 4-3, but he runs a 4-5. But look how he breaks all the ball. Look how he breaks out of the routes. Look how he catches. He catches with his hands, not his body. And you, see, and you start having these conversations with fans, and you start understanding that they're just as smart as you are that they can make these same decisions and pick quality players for our team. Oh, and it's never more prevalent, or, or you don't see that anywhere better than fantasy football, right? And I'm imagining that there's some background there for you as well. Do you play fantasy? Uh, that's the thing. I, you know, I'm, I'm, not a fantasy, I'm not a fantasy guy, but and I, I understand and I love the, 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 the competition of, of allowing players to, to use their, stat, you know, their, their stats as their platform and what's kind of, you know, ingrating that into what we're doing too. You know, a lot of the players that uh, when they come on, uh, we're wanting them to be digital. So anything that they do, they, they can get bonuses for, uh, for touchdown chances, uh, uh, pick hits, you know, interceptions with a, you know, uh, with a pick six, you know, things like that to use the stats in a better way. Yeah, so in the FCFL, fans get to be the GMs, and in fantasy we get to GM our own imaginary teams. I want to talk a little bit about the NFL because this is a, an NFL fantasy-based podcast. We got we got to touch on this stuff. So, if you were a GM and you had the third or fourth pick in this upcoming draft, which rookie mm. quarterback would you hope would fall to you there at that spot? Because there are a lot of guys who are kind of in the mix and, and a lot of teams that need QBs. Oh, it's easy. It's easy for me, Lamar Jackson. Yeah, easy. That's a easy choose for me. Uh, you know, and, and I think I think you know people kind of get him. A little, a little, you know, skewed because he's a little quiet. But man, this dude is a phenom. He is like the new generation Mike Vick. I was able to see a, a Louisville game and see him in person and to see him move. And the and the man is electrifying, like Michael Vick was, like a Devin Hester was. He's the type of guy that would would change and elevate the game of football. You know, I I, I think he has all the qualities to to be a solid guy. Yeah, and fantasy, the rushing production that he gives you has a lot more extra value. And I actually had a, one of our writers on last week, Anthony Amico, he talked a lot about uh, what he, he – he thought Lamar Jackson might be the best fantasy QB coming out here. And we, we're pretty sure he's not going to be the, you know, the top guy drafted by an NFL team, but the talent is definitely there. 
if you had to pick one weakness that he had that he needed to improve upon, what do you think that would be for him to succeed at the pro level? You know, I, and, and I don't even say it's a weakness for him because I don't even know it because I don't think everybody else knows it. But That's fair. One thing I can say is every 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 rookie coming in weak, uh, weakness would be it would be film study. I think that when coming out of the uh, college and going to the NFL, I came from a pretty good school at University of Tennessee back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, had quality coaches. Both of my coaches at that time were pro guys afterwards and before. So. Being a rookie, you have to start understanding NFL strategy, uh, 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 the, uh, uh, the, the tendencies, and all those things. And if I were him, you know, especially being the, the guy he is, he could pick up the phone and call David Cutcliffe. You know, he could pick up the phone and call Gruden and say, you know, can I can I talk to you? Can I can I just ask you some questions? I mean, for for a a player like him, he has to be proactive. And the more proactive he will be, the more value he's going to put on himself. Because people are going to say, you know what, this guy's just not an athlete. He's a student of the game. He's cerebral. And that's what really people forget about. Yeah, it's fine you run the 4-3. Yeah, you're electrifying. Yeah, you can, you, you're, you know, you're accurate. But think about the guys that people truly, truly value. NFL players are, and NFL teams value are students of the game. Yep, and you see that with, with some of the top guys like Tom Brady every year, all those guys who just live and breathe football. And speaking of yep. veteran quarterbacks, which one of them from the NFL would you most like to see play in the FCFL and why? It's funny you said that because, you know, uh, I, I you know I, I basically said the guy, you know, Lamar Jackson reminded me of somebody and, and you know, couldn't be any guy greater than Mike Vick. I mean, you got to give the guy his, his respect. Mike Vick is probably one of the you know most phenomenal football ever you know and he was most electrifying. so if i you know in the fcfl i think he would bring that type of uh, quality because you know playing in that small space being real accurate being real electrifying i mean he'd be he'd be perfect so from your experience as a defensive back and you mentioned how you went to the university of tennessee you also played in the nfl with the bears and the jets from your experience as a db what do you notice when you watch quarterbacks that you think other people are often missing? Like, what do you, what do you see from that position? What what's unique from your experience there? I, I mean, that's that's an interesting question. I mean, it, it, it just it it all depends. Uh, I can say this: I, I I really respected teammates, and I know that may sound weird. I mean, like what you're thinking about, but that I really really respect teammates. You think a good teammate, like especially a quarterback, because he's the leader of the squad. And if your your quarterback is a a hole, man, it's hard to get behind him. And I have had, you know, in my days, my my you know my days of playing, I've had quarterbacks that they were just a holes, and it was hard for the team and them to lead uh, and and have people that wanted to follow them. So to me, I would I would absolutely say you have to be a good teammate, especially at, at quarterback. Peyton Manning, I played at the University of Tennessee. Peyton Manning was my quarterback at that time. He sure was there. Uh, he sure was actually there too. T. Martin was there, and they were great, great teammates. Yeah, that's that's interesting, and, and you can definitely see that. You know, you have that leader on the field that makes a lot of difference. You also played in the XFL, and I have to ask you about this just because that's such a unique experience. And you know, that was after you played in the NFL for a few years. But yeah. I'm, I'm interested in that transition for you because the players who might be coming into the FCFL are going to have to make a transition too. Like 7-on-7 seven seven is a different game than the 11-on-11 11 11 they play in the pros. 
What advice would you give a player who's transitioning either from college or the NFL to a different format of football like the fan-controlled football league? Well, let me say one thing, too, about that. When you went from saying 707 being different than 11-11, but people don't realize in every high school, college, and pro practice, 717 is done daily. So it is a when you do say 717, people get that. And it's being trained now to all the way down to, to flag football with kids. So it, I, I think 717 is just as popular as 1111, especially when you're doing it in the indoor. Now, when it comes to, you know, if when it comes to what would I say to somebody who's playing in another league, I would say take full 100% advantage of it. I, I hear this all the time, guys telling me that they're free agents. And all I would do is I'd go up and, I, and I'd push them on their bicep or right where their shoulder is, and I would feel the fat on their arm. And I'm like, you're not a free agent because a free agent is always working. He's tight. He's ready to go at any time because a free agent knows the call, the call could come tomorrow. So if you're pretending to be – there's a whole bunch of pretending free agent guys and guys on a whole bunch of lists and whatnot. My, my, my thing is to focus on your, your body – focus on creating and i say that to people all the time creating good film is also in practice and the reason i say that is if you're not creating good film in practice you're not going to play if you're not creating good film film in practice i'm not going to vouch for you i'm not going to tell an nfl scout that says hey man do you uh, we're going to start scouting your league what about this guy i'm going i'm going to say he's late because i'm not going to put my name on you being that type of player so in my opinion you have to focus on exposure, creating good content, creating good film, and staying healthy. That's great. Now, just in general, it sounds like you, because you know you see that seven on seven and practice it at most levels of football. There are some things that are going to translate very well. What, what do you think are the, like the most universal truths for all forms of football? Like what skills or traits for a player translate the best between the college game, the NFL, the FCFL, the CFL, all these different leagues? Like what what's what's one thing? I mean, you, you talked earlier about you know making sure that your body's right. You talked about being in the film room, but is there anything else that you can think of that, that kind of universally is always going to be rewarded in football? Yeah. Yeah. Confidence. <laughs> One, All right. You got to think about it. You got to think about it. People, you know, I tell my wife a lot of this time, you know, I'm like, I've been in the cage. I've been in the locker room with a bunch of alpha dogs. So you have to understand when, if we're playing pool, why I'm so intense, but you have to have a confidence and a, and a, and a, and a, damn near arrogance about yourself to fit in that block going into that room going into those meeting rooms going into that locker room going to that practice field going to that field and if you don't have confidence built up in all all those levels but but by the time you get there on sunday it'll show you it'll show and the, the, the 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 alpha dogs will eat you up so i would say that in every level i would say that to my kid that it all starts your confidence because if you don't have confidence in yourself you will not last in that game so that seems like kind of a fine line to walk between what you're talking about earlier about uh, you know being a good teammate not being an a-hole like how does how does how do you strike that balance think about it you know every team's got personalities and yeah and and i look i played i played in hawaii for five years i played in oklahoma when i was uh in high school and then i went to tennessee southern tennessee i had guys that were on my teams that were from cali i had rich guys i was a military brat i had guys that came out of the hood that doesn't matter you have to you still have to have a 
a swagger about yourself to, to, to fit in. Now, you don't have to be the quiet guy. It, it, it all comes in. It, I'm not talking about when I say swag, got to be this arrogant, speaking, and a loud guy. I think that all comes with the personality of the actual position. I think linemen are supposed to be a certain way. They're supposed to be in your face and don't touch me, don't talk to me if I say it. You know, they need to be that way. I think the DBs and the wide receivers need to be talkative. You want to find out where the DBs are? Just listen to the chatter. It ha- you have to create that, you know, and that, that's, that's kind of what I was trying to get to. Okay, yeah, it sounds like you're talking a lot about just kind of believing in yourself and believing in your own abilities. Is that right? You have to. You If you don't, it, it, one of the greatest, uh, I, I tell this story all the time, I, I used to love, practices at Tennessee and and one-on-one time came and one-on-one is is wide receiver against DB and quarterback so you got Peyton throwing the ball and you got all American wide receivers in front of you and when I'm telling you you cannot go to that line and not believe in yourself because it will show on film it will show every day on film and it was one of those times that kind of like sharpened my sword every day I'm like man if I can hold this guy and take a ball from Peyton man I could that could get me ready down the road a couple years from now. Yeah, that's right. And I, I think that stuff sort of does translate to fantasy football. Like, you have to believe in the moves that you're making, the picks that you're making, the guys that you think are good, because if you're just going off what someone else tells you or, you know, what the, the community or the consensus tells you, that's you're not really doing it right, in my opinion. But, um, Ray, I, I, really I agree. Want... I, and, I, and I just want to add, I wanna add to that because you, you are absolutely right. That is, that is the one thing I think fantasy football is missing. They forget about – there's a lot locker room guys. There's a lot of locker room guys that are not on fantasy uh, uh, lines. They're not in, in, in. They're not on the websites. They're not in the papers. But they are. They are. They are football players, and people forget about them, and then they end up blowing up, or they don't. But they have a respect within the, the culture of the NFL players. Oh yeah, that's something that we talk about a lot on this show is about the the effects, especially of offensive line play. Those are guys; those guys are the unsung yep. heroes of football. They protect the QBs. They give the running backs lanes. Like all that stuff is really important for offense. But you can't really measure that in fantasy because there's no stat to put to it, which is kind of a shame. But you know, it, it does it filters into our analysis of the running backs and of the quarterbacks. If you're not thinking about offensive line when you're picking your QB and your running back, then you're not doing it right, man. That stuff really matters in fantasy. You got to stay on top of that. I agree. I, that's the one thing I didn't understand. I was like, I didn't understand why linemen don't get pancakes. I'm like, hey, a pancake, uh, uh, that should count for something, <laughs> you know, so... Well, there you go. Well, hey, Ray, I really want to thank you for, for coming on, talking about the Fan Control Football League. Is there anything else you want to uh, talk about in terms of, of what you guys got going on there? Yeah, you guys can find us. If you want to get more information from us, you can go to fantoken.network or FCFL underscore fan underscore fan token and you can find me at ray austin 36 on all social media instagram Twitter, facebook if you follow me i'll follow you back all right one thing before we go i i, I gotta put you on the spot man it's only march but who do you think is going to win the super bowl next season oh man it, it'll go back to the rainy champions it'll, it'll be it'll the, the new england patriots will be back the only reason I say that, I think you, people, I've, I've, I've coached under Bill Belichick, and I know he's probably been thinking about that loss ever since it happened. So get ready. That's it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm always worried about them at the back of my mind, man. Well, hey, thanks, Ray. We'll, right. uh, we'll talk to you soon, and, and uh, appreciate your time. Thank you, Greg. Appreciate you, bro. All right, take care. All right, and that does it for this episode of the 2QB Experience. I want to thank Sean. I want to thank Ray for coming on the show. Uh, make sure you give them both a follow on Twitter. Give the site a follow on Twitter as well, at 2QBs. That's T-W-O-Q-B-S. Spell that out. 
The email is spelled the same way, 2QBs at gmail.com. Uh, be sure to rate and review the podcast. Subscribe if you haven't already. All that stuff really helps us out. And until next time, uh, get ready for the draft. It's going to be here before we know it. Adios. Today's show is brought to you by the FCFL. The fan-controlled football league is making fantasy football a reality. Like a real-life version of Madden, fans will vote on all personnel decisions and play calls in real time. And what the fans say goes. Visit fcfl.io to learn more. The FCFL, where you are in control.